Listening to the Bring Them Home Aliyah podcast, hosted by Josh Wander. Welcome back to Bring Them Home. This is Josh Wander from Yushalayim Yer Kodesh. We are yet again privileged to be here with uh, Rav Nachman Kahana, speaking about the Torah portion, about the current events, and uh, we were just talking off the air about uh, Aliyah from 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 the United States to Eretz Israel and how the numbers are definitely up, but it seems to be just a trickle. But there's a lot of tourists that are coming back, and I was thinking to myself how interesting it is that maybe there is, it, it was somewhat of a, uh, an eye-opener for American Jews over the past year or two of corona, where they weren't allowed to come in as tourists. And on one hand, it created a certain desire, a certain cheshek for them, to come back, and a lot of them are very excited to come back to Eretz Israel. On the other hand, I think it was somewhat of a uh, <clears throat> of a wake-up call for them, because I think that a lot of American Jews, probably going to get into trouble saying this, but a lot of American Jews thought that the state of Israel is dependent on them, and that there's no way that we could survive even a week without American Jewry coming and, and, and boosting our economy, Yet, for the past two years, we have been without tourists, and our economy is still booming. How, do you, how would you explain that, Rav Nachman? I'll explain in a Everything that goes on here in this country is a miracle. That the shekel is one of the strongest currencies in the world. The dollar is going down vis-a-vis the shekel. Unemployment is uh, around 6% here. And the country is booming. In Yerushalayim, you can't move the car. Every street is building. Buildings which are there, they're adding other floors and making new buildings. The country also, uh, despite the, what America says, there's a large piece of land between the town called uh, Manal Domim and Yerushalayim. And it's called H1. America does not want Israel to build it because then that's going to close off the continuity of a, a, a Palestinian state, which will never be anyway. And they're going to start building there, and we're going to, Yerushalayim uh, is going to become, the United States is going to take over Malaya Dumim. And it just, this country is just, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's obvious what's happening here. Kodi Burkhu said, we're angry for two years, for 2,000 years. We finished it with the with the Shoah, and now everything now is Chesed and Ava. I we're not such great Sadiqim, we are Sadiqim. This generation is generation of Sadiqim. I recall one thing, and it was in nineteen when the war with Iraq and Saddam Hussein sent thirty nine missiles to Israel. They showed a picture of a man in Ramadan. That missile hit his house and destroyed the house. And interview me said I was inside the house. I don't know how I was, I was saved. I'm not a tzaddik. And he says, maybe I am a tzaddik. 
We don't know the way Hashem marks people, but we do want to know something. This country is unprecedented, and the people and the youth, they said the youth is getting fat and not interested in idealism. Not true. They're fighting going on in the, uh, where, in the uh, where you uh, come to register from the army on these special units. They can only take so many soldiers. And the battle is going on, who can get that, 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 that kind of special unit? In other words, when I'm saying, ask me to explain, I can't explain anything. Except one word, nice. Everything here is a nice. Everything okay. is a nice here. On the public level and on the private level. If you make it here five, it takes five years to test. If you make it to five years, you're going to succeed wonderfully here. We're coming up to Hanukkah, and this name, is definitely... Uh, in the Sivivon, the letters are Nes, Nun, Gimel, Hey, Shin. Nes, Gadol, Sham. And here it's Nes, Gadol, Haya, Po. No, Nes, Gadol, Haya. Nes, Gadol, Korei. Every day, every day, just... But you have to have eyes to see it. As I'll say in saying Halel, in I'm him below Yirau. The going of eyes that just don't see. If you open up your eyes, you see what's happening here. That's what uh, the the Gaon says. The Vilna Gaon says, "Vayakir Yosef et lohi kiruhu." That Yosef recognized his brothers, and they didn't recognize him. He explains that in the times of the Geula, the times of the redemption, the redemption is going to be happening all around us, and people are going to be oblivious to it. So it's oh. we're fortunate we, to be in it, but people don't realize it. We say every day in Shmonesrei. Hashem, open up our eyes, be able to see when you come back and begin your salvation. Open up our eyes. Now it's appreciated because Hashem doesn't work in one day. It's a, it's a process. The Mashiach is not Mashiach now. The Mashiach is a process. It could take even a hundred years. You don't know. No thing is Mashiach now. Okay, anyway, let's talk about uh, the big things. We start talking about the Jews coming to Eretz Israel. Okay, let's talk about that. Okay. When necessary, as in cases of halachic uncertainty, the Sanhedrin was sitting in its appointed chamber in the Beit HaMikdash called the Lishkata Gazit, had the God-given authority to disclose through exegesis that's critical interpretation of the Torah, Psukim, additional level of halacha. Approximately 40 years prior to the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, second one, Sanhedrin voluntarily diminished much of its authority by departing from the temple chamber to an area outside the temple mount for reasons that are important at this moment. From that time on, postkim and every generation were limited to educating their decisions based on halachic precedents. When the Sanhedrin was, you didn't need a precedent, you went to the Sanhedrin. But no Sanhedrin, we can base our halachot only on precedents. Such so so like works in the Rambam, Rabbeinu uh, Asher, the Tor, Shochanoch, their decisions were not always anonymous. And this gave rise to the whole literary world of halacha, continuing to this day. The rapid development of science and technology often presents challenges 
the post-game of our generation for lack of precedence. So the usual outcome of these discussions is to rule and practice with the most severe opinion, the Chumrah. An example of this halachic dead end is the matter of gestational surrogacy, also known as host or full surrogacy, when embryo created by in vitro fertilization technology, IVF, is implanted in the uterus of a surrogate carrier will bring the baby to term. Gestational surrogacy has several forms, and each form, the resulting child is genetically unrelated to the surrogate. An alochic problem appears when the egg donor is a Jewish woman and a surrogate a Gentile, or the reverse. Upon birth, the immediate question is the essence of the child, a Jew or Gentile. Is the Jewish neshama transferred through the genetic egg or through the surrogate? That's how, now, there's no precedence in halacha for this kind of a thing to happen. So there are four decisions on this question posed by leading halacha authorities of our time. One is the surrogate mother is the halacha. Surrogate mother is the alochic mother. Two, the donor of the egg is the alochic mother. Three, both are considered to be the mothers. Four, depends on where the egg was on the 40th day of fertilization. Until that day, it's not considered an embryo. On day 40, it starts to be an embryo. If it is in the surrogate mother's womb, then she is the mother. But thoughts alochic implications. If the egg is not in the mother, but it's like in the laboratory or still in the mother of the egg, then the egg donor is the alachic mother, depending on what happens in 40 days. As previously stated, in the absence of precedence, the loch is that the child must undergo giyur, conversion. One ramification of this conversion will be if the baby is a girl, she will be prohibited from marrying a coin. A coin cannot marry a convert. In short, the problem is one of nature versus nurture. The egg is nature. The womb of the surrogate is nurture. When the embryo will be in the surrogate's womb, which will provide it with food and oxygen, which determine its physical growth and many characteristics, is this baby Yaakov Esav. That's the problem. Nature versus nurture. Let's extrapolate from the physical DNA of the woman's egg versus the overwhelming influence of the embryo's environment to reality facing the modern Orthodox Jew in the United States. On the one side, he or she is born to a Jewish mother. However, he or she is brought up in an environment overwhelmingly non-Jewish, which provides the individual with cultural nourishment and oxygen of Gentile values, an environment whose values do not include fear and love of Hashem. Whether they realize it or not, the orientation of an American Jew is to the values they receive from the Goyim when reality are the spiritual womb of the young Jew. Pride in being Hashem's chosen people and being connected to the destiny of Am Yisrael, which above all is the return of the, to a biblical homeland, is not part of the American value system. So we have over here nature versus nurture. Society nurtures us to Goyish orientation, but the nature is we're born Jewish. I'd like to say two incidences to which I would like to demonstrate my thought. 
both occurred when I visited New York in, 19, in the 1990s. Two stories, but that's to explain what I mean. I was invited to a wedding in the exclusive Manhattan Hotel, although the usual trimmings that accompany a young Jewish couple on their initial steps of establishing a new Jewish home. The ceremony went well, as did the Haut Cuisine. I was eating in the fabulous dining room when suddenly I noticed that there were very few men there. I left the dining room to find out where they were all gone. I entered the foyer, and to, the, and to my dismay, these men, all dressed in tuxedos at a holy wedding, <laughs> sat transfixed to a football game on television. And sitting among them was the holy Chatan, who left the love of his life with the other women while he was absorbed in the line of scrimmage. I couldn't believe my eyes what I saw. All the men were born Jews, but they were culturally orientated with the values of the Gentile surroundings. Even the Chatan was under holy chuppah just minutes before him and sitting watching a football game at his own wedding. Another incident. Around that time, I was invited to be the guest of honor of the yearly dinner of my elementary school yeshiva I attended. It was a lavish affair held at the New York Hilton at 5 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. The food and ambience were impeccable. No one there knew me except several friends who had kept a relationship for many years. But everyone paid a substantial sum of money to see me and see each other. After the main dish, I was invited by the master of ceremonies to deliver the main address of the evening. There were hundreds of people present, hundreds, maybe even a thousand, and it was a great opportunity to speak about the values that I cherish. The central theme of my speech was our sovereignty over Yerushalayim and the Temple Mount for the first time in over 2,000 years, and its significance in our relationship with the Creator who chose us as His intimate nation in both worlds. At the close of my 45-minute address, I did something unusual. I asked the guests to join me in singing Immediately, 1,000 or so people stood up, house lights dimmed, and orchestra, bang, and orchestra began playing. This continued for over five minutes, during which time the guests stopped speaking about the new cars, renovated homes, and planned trips to Aruba for Pesach, and everyone appeared to be deeply immersed in Yerushalayim. I said to myself, I recall, Nachman, take a look. You did something immense in your visit here. The song ended, the lights brightened, and there was a silence, a spell that no one wanted to break. Then the MC announced, Ladies and gentlemen, I wish to make a very important announcement. Our yeshiva's basketball team just defeated Ramaz 47-39. At that moment, the magic spell dissolved, and the men start clapping on each other's backs, and everybody returned to the mortgages and new cars. I recall thinking, Nachman, what are you doing here? Go back to Eretzor where you belong. These incidences are merely the tip of a huge and quickly melting Jewish iceberg. Sports, pets, dogs, careers, vacations, multiple homes, the kiddush club on Shabbat with expensive drinks are what seem important.
These are Jewish-born men and women, but the Gentile surroundings make them think like Goyim and have shared values. This is not theory because I experienced it in the 24 years that I lived in the United States. And just as one cannot jump in the pool of water and remain dry, one cannot mix with the Goyim and remain a pure Jew. Everything which I said now is dedicated to the holy memory of Elie K, who was murdered on Sunday in the old city while going to Dakota. Eddie was born in South Africa. As a teenager, he left his birthplace and family to fill his dream of living in Eretz Israel. He completed his army service in a parachute brigade. Eddie was born a Jew. He overcame his non-Jewish surroundings and was murdered because of his dedication to the Jewish people. May his memory be a blessing and a guide to the values the Jews have sanctified for in life and in death. When the Jews uh, left Mitzrayim, they brought with them a slave mentality, a galut mentality, and it was necessary for the Dor Hamidbar, the generation of the wilderness, to pass away before Yoshua would be able to, to cross the Yarden and to conquer Eretz Israel. Do you see any similarities today that there's a, a uh, segment of the population that needs to go and another segment of the population that needs to take the reins in order to be that new conquering of Eretz Israel generation? That's a big question. The question of, I want to say something which, which uh, may not be proved of by many people. There's a segment, se segment of population in the United States which underwent slavery. For about 200 years, which is the time that we were slaves in Egypt. There, there, level of society is problematic. Criminality, poverty, many, many don't even know where their fathers are and without going into details. And they were freed after 200 years of slavery and we also freed 200 years of slavery. But the difference between the two societies is immense. It's light years. Why? Hashem is showing us what you would have been had I not given you the Torah. You would have been the same thing as those people. The difference is because I gave you the Torah. No. The Torah, the Gemara says, Sama Chaim Sama Mavet. It's a, an elixir of life, an elixir of death. It depends how you, how you grasp it. Like someone holding a bird. If you heard it too tight, the bird's going to suffocate. To lose is going to run away. You have to know how to, how to deal with the Torah. Many Rabbanim are chachamim, but in my view, they don't know the first thing what Torah is all about. The Torah is, number one, the nation of Israel. Not the community here and the community there. And you have a Munson, you have in, in where they call it, in Las Vegas. No. It's a nation. And a nation includes all kinds of people. It's the word Tzibor, three letters, Tzadik Bet Resh. Tzadikim, Benonim, Vereshayim. 
but we're a nation. And we have the same fate, the same past, the same fate. And that can only be done in Eretz Israel. And in Chutzarot, your communities, who don't have, don't have shared interests for the most part, the other communities. Here, very interesting. I just, I just appeared to me, in the morning, the first news is about the number of automobile accidents. I said, is that really news? See, yeah, that's news. Because if a Jew is heard in Eretz Israel, everybody should know about it. Because we're really t all together. And basically we're one whole family. I enjoy, one of my joints in life is a situation where uh, I, I, I'm near a person or two people and I say hello to them and they don't run away as if I want to accost them. They start talking. You can start up a conversation in this country in one second. And then you find out no are almost related. Try it out anyway, on a bus, anywhere. And people, they, <coughs> they respond. There is a, a kinship here between everyone in the country. And uh, so what should I tell you? <coughs> Come here to Eritasville, and my experience was that the difficult thing was the decision. Once you make the decision, Hashem helps you. And things start falling into place. But not everybody, in your question, will be Zoha, will be privileged to come here. With the privilege, we say every day in Matov Olecha Yaakov, we say, Vani Barov Chazdacha, and I, because of your great compassion, I come to your shul and daven. <coughs> I don't daven in the shul if you don't permit me. If you permit me, it's an act of great chesed to me. That's just saying we're going to shul. You come to Eretz Israel. Hashem permits you to come. And he lets you come here. It's an act of great love from the creator to created people. He wants you. And he helps you. And if Shem doesn't help you, it means he doesn't want you. That's what it comes out to. I'm reminded of uh, today we visited the grave of uh, Ruchama Shane, who was the daughter of Yaakov Yosef Herman. And uh, I remember her, her daughter telling me, I think it was her daughter, that uh, after she made Aliyah, she came back to Eretz Israel, she used to wake up every morning and she used to say 10 words. She would say, thank you, Hashem, for letting me live in Eretz Israel, Every day she'd wake up, that's what she would say. So we hope that uh, we can encourage our brethren around the world to, uh, to follow one, in our footsteps. One word about, uh, about Rabbi Shane. Rabbi Shane was my teacher in Yaakov Yosef for several months. A man never raised his voice. Total, total discipline in the class. Total. And the things that he said, and how he said it, a special, special man. And like one of the few teachers that really had a place in my heart. He would say, was a rabbi, mashu, mashu, mashu. Never raised his voice. And everybody listened to him. I tried to emulate it, but it doesn't always work. It has to be a certain personality. And then he came to live in Matasdorf. There's another rabbi of mine, Rabbi Zedel Epstein, Zechazad Gabrocha, 
also lived in Matasdorf. He was the rabbi when I graduated high school and I got the Gomorrah Prize because of him when I graduated high school. It was $25 and I sent it back to the yeshiva. And Shiva got back a letter from the Rosh Yeshiva worth a lot more than $25. Anyway, that's not the point. I had very few Rabbanim that came to live in Eretz Israel, but some came. Few. Okay, that's what it is. There's a saying, and we heard it from Avadi Yosef, if Hashem is angry at the herd, he takes the leading animal and makes them blind. And everybody follows him over the cliff. The leaders are blind. You follow blind leaders. Now this up. On that uh, note. Not a happy note. <laughs> not a happy note, exactly. Shabbat Shalom. We uh, thank you for your words of wisdom. And we look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to the Bring Them Home Aliyah podcast. If you identify with our message, please subscribe and tell your friends about us too. You can leave us a review on iTunes as that really helps us grow. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. For sponsorship opportunities and for all other inquiries, please email us at bringthemhomeisrael at gmail.com. Check out our website at www.israeltorah.org for more content on this vital topic.